0: Chapter 7 of the Sleeping Beauty by C. S. Evans. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7 The little Princess Briar Rose, of course, knew nothing of the strange events that had happened at the feast of her christening, and the King gave orders that nobody should even mention the subject to her. It is not a pleasant thing to know that the fairies have decreed that one shall fall asleep for a hundred years on one's fifteenth birthday, even though one is to be awakened by a handsome prince at the end of that time. So all the lords-in-waiting and the ladies-in-waiting had to be very careful and discreet. If they told the princess a story, they had to keep the word spinning out of it, and if they showed her a book they had to take the pains to see it did not contain a picture of a spinning wheel, or any reference to a distaff or a spindle, lest she should ask what they were. The king's customs officers on the boundaries of the kingdom had to examine every waggon load of merchandise that came into the country, for fear it should contain a spinning wheel and if anybody was found trying to smuggle one in, he was brought before the judges and punished. By these devices the king felt certain that he had averted the fate laid upon his daughter. But the promises of the other wise women were fulfilled to the letter, for the young princess grew up, to be the most beautiful, gifted, and gracious maiden in all the world, that at any rate was what everybody in the palace said, from the lords and ladies down to the scullions in the kitchen, and although people are inclined sometimes to flatter royalty, in this case there was reason for their admiration. To begin with, the princess was as lovely as a spring morning, with eyes of the purest, softest blue, and hair in which rays of the sun seemed to be entangled. When she came into a room, people stopped whatever they were doing to look at her, and everyone felt happier because she was there. And her cleverness. She never had any trouble with her letters or her multiplication table. She could cipher as easily as she could spell. She knew the history of her own country and of every country around it. And nobody could puzzle her with the hardest question in geography. She could sew and embroider and knit and paint and draw. She could repeat poetry in five different languages. She studied mathematics and botany and astronomy and even law. In short, there was no end to her knowledge. And all because she had those fairies for her godmothers. Besides this, There were all her other accomplishments. She could play on all sorts of musical instruments, as, for instance, fiddle and zither, large harp and jew's harp, church organ and mouth organ, flute and penny whistle, and even on the nursery comb. She could sing like a nightingale and dance like a fairy. And yet, she was never conceited or puffed up as some good-looking and accomplished people are apt to be. On the contrary, she was always sweet-tempered and modest, and for this reason she was loved. People may admire good looks and a graceful deportment, and they may respect ability, but it is only sweetness of nature and goodness of heart that can win love. And these things were the gift of the third fairy." So the years passed, and at last came the day when the Princess Briar Rose was fifteen years of age. What a day that was! Everybody came to wish her many happy returns, and she had so many presents that at least a dozen servants were kept busy unwrapping the parcels. The king gave her a white pony with a saddle of red velvet and bridle and stirrups of gold, while the queen's present was a beautiful and costly necklace of pearls. Even the boy who turned the spit in the kitchen brought her something, and though it was only a little wooden shoe which he had carved with his own hands, the princess prized it just as much as though it had been made of gold. The only person who was not happy on the princess's birthday was the queen, and she went about "'with a pale face and a look of great anxiety. "'Come, come, my love,' said the king. "'What is the matter with you? "'Surely you are not thinking of that foolish old prophecy.' "'How can I help thinking about it?' the queen answered. "'I have not been able to get it out of my mind for fifteen years, "'and now that the day has come, I am afraid.' "'Make your mind easy.' said the king. Nothing is going to happen. Why, there's not a spinning wheel within a hundred miles. I have taken good care of that. And he went away chuckling to attend a meeting of his cabinet. But the queen shook her head. Now, while the king and queen were talking, the princess Briar Rose was wandering about in the castle, visiting room after room, as she had done many times before. The castle was so big that a stranger might easily have been lost in its maze of stairways and corridors, but Briar Rose knew every part of it quite well, from the great kitchens below ground, where on feast days a score of cooks prepared the dinner for hundreds of guests, to the topmost turret above the battlements, where the sentries kept watch with their pikes on their shoulders. There was only one part of the castle, which Briar Rose had never explored, and that was an ancient tower which rose from the eastern end. The door of that tower was always locked, and although the princess had often tried to find the key, she had never succeeded. The servants told her that the tower had not been inhabited for nearly a hundred years, and it had never been entered within the memory of anybody in the castle. Today, Briar Rose flitted restlessly from place to place. She peeped into the kitchen and saw the kitchen boys turning the spits on which whole oxen were being roasted. Then she went into the empty throne room and saw the golden thrones side by side upon the dais and the rich tapestry glowing with all the colors of the rainbow on the walls. After that, she mounted to the battlements from which she could see over miles and miles of her father's kingdom, and not content with that, she ran up the staircases, into the turrets, and looked through their narrow slits of windows upon the courtyard below, so far down that the people walking therein seemed no bigger than mice. And then she came down again and continued her wanderings, searching in all sorts of -of out-of-the-way corners, until at last she found herself before the door of the ancient tower, into which she had never been. And as she looked at the door, she gave a start of surprise, and then a cry of joy. There was a key in the lock. End of chapter 7